Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. So, anybody here a superhero fan? Anybody superhero fan? Holy smokes, what's wrong with all you people? I mean, in every service, it's been like four people, you know? Anyway, I've always been a superhero fan. In fact, when I learned to read, which was when I was about five years old, I couldn't wait every month to go up to uh, Cooper's store in Hillsdale, PA, to get the Superman comic book that came out. And a couple years later, when my brother Ken started reading, he started getting the Batman comic book. So I got Superman, he got Batman, we'd switch back and forth. And then in 1966, anybody remember what cool happened? Batman was on TV. You know, Adam West, Burt Ward, remember, boom, zip, boff, what all that stuff, really corny. I loved it. We loved it. And then we went into college and Star Wars came out and the original Superman with Christopher Reeves, all these superheroes. But if you are a superheroes fan, this is the best time in the world to be alive because Marvel Comics since 2007 has come out with 19 superhero movies. $16.8 $16.8 billion in gross sales so far, and they have 13 more coming out. So why do you think that people are so enamored with, like all six of us in this room, um, enamored with superheroes? Well, if you knew when Marvel Comics and DC Comics originated, you would know why. It was during the Great Depression, during the start of World War II. It was a very difficult time in the world, and people needed somebody to put their hope in, or they needed to escape from the reality that they were in. And they knew that good should triumph over evil. And when, when superheroes first came out, that was the way it was. They were good and they always had, you know, justice prevailed whenever they were around. Now, back in the 1970s and 1980s, superheroes sort of started to shift and they became what we call antiheroes. And, and they had some dark sides to them, what we would call sin in their lives. But most of them were still basically good and they were trying to have good triumph over evil. And, uh, and so we live in the 21st century now, and we don't live in the Great Depression. Why do you think they continue to have so much influence? And I think it's, again, because we now live in a world, actually, Pastor Brad knew before I did, that his wife was going to be replacing Barb Schwarm on the worship team this morning because uh, of a situation that Barb had. She actually was up with a baby all night, uh, her, daughter, her granddaughter, grandson, I'm sorry. Anyway, but Brad in Africa knew that before I did. Uh, so, that, so we can be connected with the entire world at a moment's notice, and so much bad stuff is going on, and we don't have any ability to control it. So I think we, want to, we need to escape, too, to that superhero realm where good is going to triumph, if not in this movie, then in the sequel, and if not in the sequel, then in the sequel to the sequel, right? Because at the end of the day, the bad guy is always going to get it. Now, the interesting thing to me is, we live in a world where our faith is often seen as being in conflict with science or knowledge, And uh, I don't believe that's true. That's a message for another day. Real science and Christian faith are not in conflict. But uh, but if you look at the villains in most of the superhero movies these days, it's some evil super genius, right? Usually. Um, And so knowledge is, is the thing. And there's usually a superhero, but no, it's mostly a team of superheroes who come together to combat this evil. So why all the talk about superheroes? Well, here's the reason. Because in the absence of real heroes... That's going to be up on the screen right now. We escape to a world that reflects life as we know it ought to be. In the absence of real heroes, we escape to a world that reflects life as we know it ought to be. If, you, uh, n- if you're new, inside your connection, there's an outline, and in, in, that's the first fill in the blank one, if you're interested in following along there. You don't have to, but if you want to. And uh, we know 
that good is supposed to triumph over evil, and yet we see good people you know, having bad things happen to them all the time in our world, and we see people who are lying and cheating and stealing seemingly getting ahead. And so what we want is for some heroic men and women to stand up and do the right thing. Now, here is the challenge. We are the heroic men and women that God is calling to step up and do the right thing. You and I, we are. And as we turn to Daniel chapter 3 today, and once again, if you're new, we're in the middle of a series called, well, the very front end of a series called Daniel, Putting God First. And actually, I'm holding up the study guide that we've handed out to everybody uh, who's been coming the last couple weeks. If you're new and you'd like a study guide, if you just raise your hand, uh, one of the ushers will bring it to you. Um, So the study guide is for each week, and uh, we're going to turn to chapter 3 and find some real-life heroes. Their names are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And as soon as I say those names, you think of? Huh? Fiery furnace, don't you? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fiery furnace. These guys stood up to the king. In fact, in the book of Daniel, we have four protagonists. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And their their Babylonian names are Belteshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And those four guys constantly stand up to the king, whether it's King Nebuchadnezzar or the kings that follow for for decades. And they put the true and living God first, no matter what. And so here's the thing. I think subconsciously or consciously, we think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as superheroes. They survive a fiery furnace. If you think they're superheroes, you would be wrong, but you would also be right. You would be wrong if you think that they were born like in the Amazon, you know, to a tribe that nobody remembers, or that they were born on some planet far away. But you would be right if you think what they did was super heroic, actually supernaturally heroic. And that's the whole point, is that we can't be superheroes, but we can have the supernatural power of God in our lives because of who Jesus Christ is, and in their day, just because the living God worked in their lives. I hope if you were here week one, that you remember they didn't start out as this heroic group of men who were able to stand up to anything. They started out as a group of teenage boys who made a basic commitment to eat vegetables and drink water instead of participating in the rich foods of Babylon. And and you see, if we're going to stand up someday to the big opportunity that God puts before us, it's going to be because we also do the day-to-day things that are necessary to build our faith. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we know that they were put in a fiery furnace, at least if you've ever been to church, you know, for very long, because it's one of the favorite Sunday school stories that we all remember. But they didn't start out as heroes. They started out as young men who wanted to do the right thing for the God that they knew was the one true God. And that's where we want to start out as well. So if you have your study guide, we're going to be on page 14 today. And we're going to read Daniel chapter 3, the whole chapter, verses 1 to 30. We're going to talk about how God worked in their lives and what the amazing, incredible result was. Before we do that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you that you are a God of miracles. We thank you that you are more than a superhero. You are supernatural, and you existed before we did. You will exist long after this world passes away, and you bring the new heaven and the new earth to, to pass. God, we pray today that you will open our hearts, open our minds by your Holy Spirit, that we can be empowered to do the one next thing that we need to do that will have us ready for our King Nebuchadnezzar moments. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, in Daniel 3, verse 1 and following, we read this. 
King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he sent messages to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue that he had set up. So all these officials came and stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald shouted out, People of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments, bow down to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So the actors are immediately identified in this movie, except it isn't a movie. We know who the, the evil mastermind is. It's King Nebuchadnezzar. He has decreed that everybody has to bow down and worship his statue, his handmade God. Now, most of the people would have heard that command and gone, sure, I mean, we already worship a whole bunch of idols. Why? What's the big deal about one more? In fact, we read as much in the next verse. It says, So at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bowed down to the ground and worshiped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So, everybody heard the command and everybody said, Well, we have about, you know, a couple dozen or more idols around us that we're worshiping now. And, and it's a little inconvenient that every time we hear the music, we've got to bow down, but we're going to bow down. Now, you might be thinking, I'm so glad I didn't live back then. I live in a world where nobody's going to set up a 90-foot statue in the United States of America and the government band's going to play and we all have to bow down. And that's true. But what about the idols that we have in our culture that seek to distract us from worshiping the one true God? There are so many, I couldn't even name them all. But let me just name a few. First, there's the, the God of money. Mammon, Jesus called it, and, and, and that God would have us pursue wealth and, and success and security uh, through the avenue of money rather than through following God. And then there are the pleasures of this life that we pursue so often, and, and, and whether it's alcohol and other drugs or pornography or video games or, or, or gambling or whatever it might be, those 15-minute decisions that we make that we think are going to make us feel good that end up causing us to be in slavery to them rather than following the one true God. So here's what happens next. It said, some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, long live the king. You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they heard, hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon, they pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods, and they do not worship the gold statue you have set up. So notice who it is that brings it to the king's attention that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are breaking the rules. It's the people, the astrologers, who are immediately below Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego in the structure of the government. Uh, and so we could think, well, maybe they're just good citizens, and they don't want anybody breaking the king's rules. But I think they were jealous because they knew that these three guys were 10 times wiser and had 10 times better judgment than them. And if they were out of the way, maybe they could move up in the totem pole, right? So in any case, there, this is a, there's a principle here. We don't want to stand out as followers of Jesus for self-righteous reasons. But here's the principle. If our faith in Jesus causes us to stand out, 
We must not be ashamed of putting him first. So this is going to be a big issue for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And in our lives, in this culture, when we follow Jesus, we can stand out. At work, for example, before I became a pastor, I had a number of, of jobs out in the real world, as they call it. And one of the things that I noticed, because I was a believer in Jesus Christ, and I believe that Colossians 3 is true, that says that we are serving God and not people. So when I worked, I was working unto the Lord, not to my boss. And so I worked hard, and because my dad also taught me to work hard. And so there would be people would come to me occasionally, and they'd say, Chris, you're, you, know, you, need to, you need to ease off a little bit because you're making us look bad. And I'd go, no, you're making you look bad. I'm not. And even back in my high school days, I was on athletic teams, and particularly one time in the track team, I remember um, th- there's some three guys. I was on a relay team, so there were four of us, and we were practicing, and three of the kids ran through the school while I ran around the school. It's a lot shorter to go through the school than around the school, so I was always last. But I was working really, really hard. And so the coach one day figured out that I wasn't that slow, and so he stood in the school. They thought I told on them, but I didn't. And so they really got to run a lot that day. I didn't have to. Now, I shouldn't laugh like that, but it was sort of funny. So anyway, even as I think about it now, the point is, you know, the worst thing that's going to happen to us at work is somebody doesn't like us because we work too hard, or maybe they call you a brown noser at school because you're, you know, you're doing your best. But what was going to happen to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They were going to be put in a fiery furnace. And here's the thing. Those are radically different consequences, but... Putting God first, when we put God first in our lives, what will happen is there's going to be a consequence. And that's going to be up on the screen right now. When we put God first, someone isn't going to like it, and we're going to pay a consequence. And and so whether it's a tiny little consequence at work or at school, or whether it's a drastic consequence, like you're going to lose your life, somebody won't like it if we put God first in our lives. So here's what happens next. It says, Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue that I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace, and then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Now what we see here is that King Nebuchadnezzar actually valued Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He gave them a second chance. I don't think King Nebuchadnezzar was into giving second chances. And actually, what does he say? He says, if you will repent, right? Basically, if you will turn away from following your God and turn back to following my gods, I'm going to let you live. But if you don't, then what God could ever deliver you from a fiery furnace that I'm going to put you into? Now, here's where King Nebuchadnezzar was wrong. Here's where the leaders of nations have always been wrong. They think that their knowledge, their technology, and their power is what we should bow down to. The truth is we ought never to bow down to any power but the power of the living God. And so what King Nebuchadnezzar thought was that his gods were greater than the God of Israel and that his power was greater than any power. And so if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't follow the rules, then they would die. And so here's their response. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to serve us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never, I would underline that word, we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. So, 
The take-home point, which I believe I might have skipped over, um, is very clear here. And the take-home point, which is found at the top of page 14, says, I will put God first no matter who tries to dethrone him. I will put God first no matter who tries to dethrone him. Uh, No, I'm sorry, that's the commitment. The take-home point is we only know how much God means to us when following him could cost us our lives. And that's sort of a drastic statement to be made in 21st century America. But it comes out of this situation Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were putting that take-home point into practice in their lives. They didn't care that King Nebuchadnezzar was going to put them in a fiery furnace. In fact, they didn't care for two reasons. The first reason was they believed that their God would deliver them. They believed that their God was a miracle-making God and that he would deliver them from whatever test they would face. And, And the second thing is, even if he didn't, their faith in him was so strong they were willing to die for him rather than to um, worship any other God or any other being. And so imagine the statement that, that they were making to King Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, we can see how, how much it impacted King Nebuchadnezzar because here's what he says. He says, Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. He commanded that furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. Now this is the story that we all know and love, isn't it? It's the story of God delivering. And we, we could immediately say, these guys are superheroes. Because God, you know, they, they had this super, they didn't have any superpowers. Their God protected them. In fact, we see there were three guys in the fire, but whenever they looked in, there were four. Who was the fourth one? Some people think it was Jesus in a pre-incarnate form. Some people think it was an angel. But anyway, it's a supernatural being who protected Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the flames so that when they came out, there was no harm done to them. And King Nebuchadnezzar realizes what's going on. It's the one true God who has protected them. Now, here's something I want to go back to week one. Remember when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel, started eating the vegetables and the water, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, while everybody else is eating the meat and the cake and all that? That's how they were able to do this. I want us to understand, in our daily lives, we don't start out saying, oh, there's a fiery furnace, let me jump in doesn't start out that way. But that's how they could do it after, I believe, years of serving King Nebuchadnezzar. And imagine every day they got up and they said, oh, good, broccoli and carrots for breakfast again. I don't think so. And in our lives, when we wake up in the morning, we probably aren't saying, oh, good, I get to go pray. I get to read my Bible. I get to whatever it might be that we're doing to build up our faith. And I want to be very, very transparent with you this morning. The last three weeks, I've been having a hard time with my morning prayer time. And my morning prayer time is an hour and a half long. It's supposed to be. And, and, and that might seem long to you, but for me, I'm a pastor, and my, my work is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ and to be ready in case I ever have a King Nebuchadnezzar moment. 
And so about 15 months ago, I learned this practice of 12 different aspects of prayer called The Hour That Changes the World by Dr. Dick Eastman. And I've extended it to where it's an hour and a half, even two hours of prayer. But the last three weeks, when I wake up in the morning, I just don't feel like praying. So what do I do? Well, I remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego eating the vegetables in the water, and I, 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 I do it. But, but sometimes it's only 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes. It's not an hour, an hour and a half like it's been for six days a week for the past year. And so the, the struggle in itself is a victory because at least I'm struggling. And for you, I don't know what it is, whether it's reading the Bible that's hard or whether it's praying that's hard or whether it's giving that's hard, whatever the discipline might be, hanging out with other Christians, which is a discipline that's very important, all of those things that seem so ordinary and simple, and they are, those are building us up to the point where if we ever face the kind of thing that Chadrach, Meshach, and Abednego face, and then we're not probably going to be put into a fiery furnace, but if we ever are put into a situation where we have to stand up for God or it's going to cost us something, we won't be ready unless we do what they did every single day. They did the discipline of eating the vegetables in the water. I'm not saying we have to do that. They did the discipline of prayer. You will read that later because Daniel, discipline of prayer is very obvious the next time when we talk about Daniel. There is... There are disciplines that we do, and whatever, wherever you are, wherever you are right now in your walk with Jesus Christ, I'm saying that we need to take the next step a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more, so that when the big step comes, we will be ready. And King Nebuchadnezzar was so impressed. In fact, what he says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. And the principle we learn is that God never leaves us or forsakes us. And that results in miracle, a big miracle for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But that can result in miracles for us as well that God provides in a way that we could never expect or imagine. And look what it says. It says, so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed. Their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. Sure does seem like that's his favorite punishment, doesn't it? I mean, it's like everybody who doesn't do what he says, I mean, he doesn't take his ball and go home. He tears you limb from limb and tears down your house, right? So, okay, there's no other God who can rescue you like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. So what a reversal. Because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did something amazing, the king's heart was changed, and eventually the whole nation would change. And I want you to understand, what, the, what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did that was amazing was not survive the fiery furnace. It was step into it in the first place. I mean, think about that. They walked into a furnace that was so hot that the people that put them into it died from the heat. And they were willing to walk into that rather than turn their back on the living God that they served. And so what, what we find is that King Nebuchadnezzar says this, there is no other God who can rescue like this. What they did was so incredible that it changed the heart of the king and it changed his command. So now instead of saying you have to bow down to this 90-foot statue, you have to give honor to the God 
of heaven, which is our God, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so what he's saying is, now you're commanded to worship the true God. There's, I don't think there's ever been that kind of reversal in a whole culture. And the thing is, we never know. We never know how our simple acts of obedience will impact others and even our culture. God rescued Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because they believed in him. Because they trusted him and put him first. I have said many, many times over the years, following Jesus is simple, but not easy. Look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They had a simple choice. Obey God, go into the fiery furnace, or disobey God. And what was going to happen if they disobeyed God? They were keeping their positions as the highest ranking officials in Babylon. They got to continue to wear the fancy robes and the turbans and all that. They got to live in luxury. And all they had to do was to bow down to a 90-foot statue. But they didn't. They chose, and it was, notice how easy it was for them. I don't know if it was easy, how simple it was for them to do the right thing. They said, look, King, we don't really care. You know, what you say, our God's going to deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we're never going to turn our backs on him because he's able to deliver us, and if he doesn't, we, we would rather die and go see him than to stay alive and worship some other God. And in our lives, we might never be faced with that choice, but who knows, maybe we will. And we will only be ready for that moment if day by day by day we struggle to pray a little bit more, to read, our, read the word of God, to take care of ourselves and to give generously and all those things that we know are part of the discipline of following Jesus Christ. So they obeyed, and the result was the transformation of a king in society. And even if nothing like that ever happens, I want you to remember what the mission of new life is. The mission of new life is to share, grow, and live the new life of Jesus Christ with the world one person at a time. One person at a time. You might not have a chance to influence a king. But one of our, our members told me this morning that she was yesterday at the gas pump, at the gas pump, and she accidentally overheard a person on a cell phone saying they lost their job, and they were pretty down, and she just walked over and said, I didn't mean to overhear, but I did. Could I pray for you? And they had a conversation, and she got to pray, and that's, that's standing up for Jesus, right? Now, I know it's not like a fiery furnace, but that's, that's a little bit of boldness, a little bit of faith. And three of our people preached in Africa today. Brian and Tammy and Pastor Brad, they didn't get the ability to do that by just waking up, you know, flying over to Africa one day. They've been following him little by little by little, faithful by faithful by faithful, day by day by day. And, and so that's all we have to do. So here's this morning's commitment. And, and usually I say this week, but we have to do this one right now. I will put God first no matter who tries to dethrone him. I will put God first no matter who tries to dethrone him. We can't wait till next week to start doing that. We have to moment by moment, day by day, step into the disciplines that will allow us to be ready. We don't do the disciplines that we do so God will give us a gold sticker on our forehead. He loved us before we woke up this morning, before we did a thing. We don't do it so other people will say, wow, look at you. We don't do it to check stuff off our to-do list. We do it to be faithful in this moment so that when the big moment comes, we will be ready. Now, the big moment will only find us faithful if, number one, we are serving the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. King Nebuchadnezzar realized he was, you know, he was putting his worship into the wrong God. And, and, and we're going to find out next week he didn't really learn it. But for that moment, he did. For that moment, he learned that there is a God in heaven, and he is watching over us, but he doesn't just want to watch over us. He wants to live in us. And that's, if you've never, ever trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, 
That's what this is all about. Because right now, you can have the God of the universe living inside of you, if you don't, simply by yielding your life to him. Jesus wants to be Lord, which means owner, master in our lives. And, and, and that's challenging. But he also wants to save us. He saved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace. But he also saved their eternal souls. And that's what Jesus does. He does practical things, little and big, every day when we're his, his um, children. Jesus called it being born again when we have this new life that he gave us. So if you've never done that, as I pray this morning, I hope you will. If you have done it, then we're gonna, we're gonna, you'll understand what the prayer I'm going to pray for us is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for the faithfulness of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were not superheroes, but who had the supernatural power of your presence in their lives. And because of that, they overcame an amazing obstacle. God, I pray today for any in this room or any watching online who have not yet trusted you, that they will, that they will put you first, that Jesus will be Lord and Savior in their lives, that they will say right now, Jesus, I need you. I need you in my life so that I can live this supernatural life that only you can give. And God, for all of us who have already done that, I pray for a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit in our lives, that we can serve you faithfully and well, that we can bring you glory and honor today and every day. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.